Discussions in this show Should not be construed as specific Recommendations or investment advice Always consult with your investment professional Before making important investment decisions Securities offer through Cambridge Investment Research Inc. A registered broker dealer Member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisor Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, a registered investment. This is the Reformed Financial Advisor, a Kansas City podcast. My name is Andy Flattery. I'm a certified financial planner. Today we're talking about the student loan crisis. What is it? How did we get here? And how do we get out of this crisis? The student loan crisis, I think this is one of the financial issues of the day, especially for Gen Y, that's my generation, Gen Z, even probably Gen X still. We've got student loans here in the Flattery House still, and a lot of my younger clients do as well. And you're hearing a lot of people talk about student loans in public discourse. I heard Peter Schiff mention it on the Joe Rogan show the other day. You're hearing politicians talk about it in the debates. So I think it's particularly relevant to bring up on this podcast. So I want to get into it with Ryan Dirks. Ryan is a financial advisor like me, but he's also a candidate for U.S. Congress. He's a young guy that's taking on the seat currently occupied by Emanuel Cleaver. So Cleaver's a Democrat and Dirks is running as a Republican. And he's got some interesting ideas on how to fix the student loan crisis on a policy level, which is not something that I'm well-versed in, but I thought that Dirks would be a great guy to bring on to speak to it. So we're going to get into it. What is the student loan crisis? What, what is the magnitude of this thing? How do we get out of it? So what are the solutions on a policy level and on an individual level to get out of this crisis? And what has led to this? How did we get here? So how was the federal government involved? And we're going to talk about some areas that you're probably not going to hear a whole lot about in public discourse. Okay, guys, so let's do this. All show notes discussed in the episode can be found at simplewealthkc.com slash student loans. And make sure to hit me back with your feedback. Ryan, I'm going to throw just a few statistics at you and I want to hear your thoughts. So in terms of defining this problem, in 2019, the student loan debt here in the US was 1.4 trillion. Here in Missouri, the average student loan debt borrower owes $34,000 and the average salary for a college grad here in Missouri is $40,000. In 2015, the Department of Education said this, at 53% of institutions, more than half of alumni are not even earning more than a typical high school graduate within six years after starting at the school. Here's the thing, Andy. So we're talking politics, and obviously people who are following my campaign will hear this in conversation. This is one of the most important things I keep asking people to remember. Please, you have to know your history. 
especially if you're going to vote for me or you're going to consider supporting me, you have to know that one of the biggest things is you have to know your history. So how did we even get to this point where there are so many people going to college and coming out with a, mass, a good amount of debt? That's actually surprisingly low for Missouri. But you see on, on the internet all the time of people who have 100 or more $200,000 of debt. Right. How did we get to this point? Well, initially, probably much like you, our parents' generation told us, you don't have a choice, you're going to college, right? Was that similar to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, there was, never, there was never an alternative. That's what everybody I talk to says. There was never, it wasn't if, it was when. And so you go to college. Okay, great. Well, now the colleges have expanded to so many different areas of study that don't necessarily have much value. Say, um, I'm, I'm a, a structural engineer, we, that has a lot of value behind it. More of the humanities and soft sciences do not have nearly as much of, um, of value in the free market, if you will. So we have some people who get in a lot of those soft sciences and master uh, humanities, you need a master's just to compete. So now we have a huge amount of new students going to all of these colleges across the country because we were told you don't have a choice, you have to. The colleges have started accepting any, uh, you know, just expanding programs like crazy and letting you study anything. In fact, sometimes you'll watch NCAA football and you'll see a senior who's, you know, they say what they're studying and they say like general studies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a joke. Right. And then finally, back in 2012, I don't know if you've seen the, I don't probably C-SPAN interview with Maxine Waters. She at the time is the chairman of the financial services committee. And she had all of the bankers in and said, why are these student loans problems so bad? All of this stuff. And they say, you know, back in 2012, we sat before you and you took all of it away from us. We haven't made loans since 2011 and 2012. So for the last eight years, Andy, the government has been 100% funding schools, loans, and also guaranteeing them. And this is the same problem that you see all the time when you have a student, a university, and the government or a loan provider. None of the three have accountability to the others. So the school doesn't care how much it costs because the kid's going to get a loan guaranteed. The kid doesn't really care how much it costs because the government's going to guarantee it. And the government, well, the government, you know, the government is the government. They have expendable paper money to turn on the printers with. Right. So no wonder prices have gone through the roof. There's no serious accountability. Now, not only do we have a bunch of expensive degrees to go uh, study, whether it's a soft sciences and humanities or even law or engineering. But now we have this massive outflow of 18 to 23 year olds who are all going out into the workforce. Well, now we have so many degrees of the same stuff that they're now less valuable. Like, for example, in the marketing industry, do I really need a four year degree to learn the ins and outs and perfections of marketing? Or would I be better if, um, as you described, the Department of Education said, instead of going to college, go to high school and then get an apprenticeship. You could save so much money and you could learn right there on the ground. So that's not popular, though. So that's to come full circle. Those are the three biggest things is that there's no serious accountability on who is actually doing this. There are far more university courses and focuses offered that are not valuable and then I forget the third one. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. So like an engineering student who makes $90,000 a year out of school or, you know, something 
is borrowing the same amount of money and at the same rates as someone that majors in like lesbian dance theory or something like that, who is not able to get a job at all. And so there's a real disconnect there that, like you said, there's no accountability for. And now you're seeing the problems increase. Like a lot of older people have student loan debt right now. You know, the the lending standards really are just kind of like sign your name. And and you get the loan, and right. that's a real problem. Right. And and you know, to 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 make a small a small note there, you say lesbian dance theory, and it's a funny concept, and I get what you mean. But like even social social work, like a very real, very measurable degree, you have to get a master's if you want to be competitive for whatever reason. And you know that's one of the lowest paying industries in America. It averages somewhere between thirty and thirty five thousand dollars a year in social work. Check this out. 1965, LBJ signed into law something called the Higher Education Act. So this was probably part of the Great Society. And this started the process of the federal government guaranteeing the loans of private lenders. And they did it at below market rates. At that time, the average tuition room and board was $1,100 a year. Fast forward to 1980, there was a federal provision that enacted a guarantee that certain private lenders would get a nine and a half percent guaranteed return on loans. So as you know, interest rates were much higher back in 1980, right? This caused a ton of problems in the 2000s when they like failed to fix that particular legislation. Okay. 1993, they redid the higher education act. They reauthorized it. The federal government at this point, began loaning money directly from its coffers. And so this really kind of started the massive increase that we're still experiencing today. And then I think it was 2010, you said 2012, Obama signed into law as kind of an obscure part of of the ACA. So maybe that was 2012. Something called the Ensuring Continued Access to Student Loans Act. Okay, so here we go. In 2020, Ryan, the government today owns or guarantees the debt on over 80% of loans. Add to that, Andy, that not only is the government guaranteeing and take completely monopolizing the market so the prices are going sky high. I don't know if you had a student loan or not, but when I ask people that the average interest rate that people are paying is 6%, 6 and 7% is what I hear quite often on student loan loans. That is so high. Again, we already talked about the Department of Education themselves said that people are earning right at or less what their uh, degree costs right now. So not only do you have to pay that back, you have to pay, pay it with interest. Um, add on to that, you, one thing you did not mention, and I don't know how this became, but student loans are the only debt you can't go bankrupt on. So Andy, the system that has been set up and built for Americans is modern day indentured servitude. Not slavery, not quite slavery. You could argue that, but I'm saying indentured servitude where people are taking out a loan and then having to pay back for the rest of their lives. This is like Russian serfs of the 1700s. Now, how do you get out of that? How do you fix that? Do we just deal with it? Because I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think that throwing more money at it is the problem. I know a lot of people in kind of the financial planning world that really do what I do, like they're CFPs. And Ryan, what they do is they help people like take advantage of the different income-based repayment rules that the government is enacted. And like, and that's all well and good. Like 
people probably should be thinking that way. But the problem is with these income-based repayment plans at the rates that you just described, like there are people that will just never pay these things off. And so they're going to yeah. be tied to this note for the rest of their life. They're, they're in bondage because it's just a, it's just a payment that's going to consistently come out of their paycheck. The principal is going to decrease very little if they stay on these IBR plans. And of course, maybe they're holding out for forgiveness, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But um, like you said, like it's, it's just a, it's a road to surf them. I'm, I'm really, Andy, I'm really shocked that parents are still encouraging their children as much as they are to go to a university and take out these massive loans. We keep talking about the disruption, right? Like when, when's there going to be the big, big disruption? And, and this is the kind of next big bubble. Yeah. I feel like we've been saying that for five years, but <laughs> it, it, it seems like it's taken a lot longer than some of the smart people have talked about. Right. You know, I recognize I'm being quite negative about the current student loan crisis in America, and I am. But I want to be absolutely clear about one thing. If you are in your own individual crisis, you can definitely take control of the situation and get yourself out of it by paying off your debt. I've seen it happen. I know it can happen. And I want to help you do that by sending you my free guide. It's called the 20 best free tools to hack your finances. And this guide includes some great debt payoff tools, including the debt snowball calculator and a free tool to compare the different repayment options if you have student loans. So if you're considering refinancing or income-based repayment or public student loan forgiveness, you definitely need to check out this tool. Also have some other great tools in the guide, such as the best credit card deals for you right now, the current average mortgage rates out there, which is especially timely here in 2020, and a financial freedom calculator, which is something that we are all thinking about. So if you want to check out the free tools, the 20 best free tools to hack your finances, it's at simplewealthkc.com slash student loans, simplewealthkc.com slash student loans. You know, if you watch like the Democratic primaries, the debates, I think loan forgiveness comes up quite often. You know, even some Republicans talk about this from time to time. Should we just start with that? You know, that, that's that's something that's been talked about quite a bit. Should should these student loans, I mean, we've talked about the problem and the federal government is behind a lot of it. So should they just forgive these loans? Is that the answer to this? It seems like a very easy answer. It seems like a very fast answer, but it seems like a very immoral answer. Because if we forgive all of those loans at once, then that means you're saddling this on everyone else who never went to school, people who are paying off their loans, and including the people who were fortunate and never had a loan. So it seems immoral. Um, what do you think? Does it sound like that? What do you think? Yeah, I, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. Uh, it's a little bit of a blue collar town. And, and I have a lot of classmates from high school that didn't go to college. Okay. Right. And, and, and uh, these guys are, they're welders, they're electricians, plumbers, roofers, things like that. And, uh, and they make a good living. And what, what do we say to them? <laughs> yeah. Because the white collar elite can't, can't pay off their student loans and, and they actually did things pretty correctly, but we're telling them that we're going to socialize our losses. Why, while they help pay for it. I know. Um, so I, I do. I think there's a moral evil in that. And um, I, I understand why people talk about it. And and I, obviously, we've just talked about some of the injustice that's taking place. But I, I just don't think it's the answer. I don't think you can – I don't think you can 
righting a wrong with another wrong. Yeah, right. So, I mean, aside from, no, so now here's the idea I've got. I think it's very fair. I think what else is immoral about this whole situation is how much interest is being charged on these loans. And especially since the government, it's not even a private situation. It's the government. Why is the government not giving interest-free loans? It's the government after all. Um, But no, they're charging six. I'd like to see that come down or even go near zero. Uh, The other thing I think would be very fair because no other loan is uh, restricted from bankruptcy. Allow people with student loans to go through bankruptcy. They'll go through the normal process. They'll have a black mark on their record for seven years, all of the normal stages. But at least then people can decide okay, am I going to do bankruptcy and take the, co- the consequence or am I just going to tough this thing out? I think it's a fair compromise because you, it puts the choice into the individual. Um, plus, I think, again, the immoral part from not being able to go bankrupt, in my opinion, is you could go to a plastic surgeon and finance a nose job and you can get that as a loan, right? They'll finance it and you could go bankrupt on your nose job, but they're not going to take your nose away, right? Right. So how is that not any, how is that not any different? Why, why, maybe we should stop letting people who get plastic surgery um, default on a loan. Regardless, a weird example, but I think that people should be allowed. I agree. And there are some people that are listening to this right now that have never heard this, Ryan. So why is this? Why, why is this the only debt that basically you, you can't go through bankruptcy and get cleared? Andy, I don't have the answer. It's one of those legislation pieces of legislation right. that was put in. Um, in the in those different notes that you were reading off, but I will tell you that it was funny because I was I, someone had sent me a Ronald Reagan speech the other the other day. I listened to it briefly, and he mentions he's kind of jabbing at students who go to Harvard. Andy, do you know how much it cost for one year to go to Harvard uh, back in 1963? Okay, um, I'm going to say let's say like five grand. So. 60 years ago, 65 or so years ago, it cost $2,700 for a year at Harvard. Can you believe that? Wow, nice. Right. So now, granted, Harvard is a private school. Now, here's the other part, if we can move on for to a, if I can add in another little bit of spice to this thing here. Let's do it. The Ivy League schools are the most highly sought after schools, right? Those are private universities. Again, I think it's showing... Same with charter schools, in my opinion, is that a privately run school school uh, can operate far more efficiently and put out much higher uh, quality degrees than, say, a state school or ju- JUCO. It's actually mainly state schools or these online universities who just get endless amounts of paper from students. Yeah, I mean, I think we could have a whole nother conversation just on education in general, yeah. because that's that's kind of a whole nother issue that is maybe above my pay grade right now. But one, one of the things I struggle with, like in doing financial planning for clients with, with young kids who are thinking like, well, I, I want to be able to provide for them when they're 18 years old and I want to send them to college and, and help them so that they don't go into student loan debt, is how do you actually do that? Like, Do we plan that the cost of college education is just going to continue to inflate, inflate at 6% a year, which is like three to 4% higher than actual inflation? Uh, that's so it's, it's a mess. Like we're all hoping for this, this kind of big disruption, but, um, well, you, you'd asked about, about, you'd asked about impossible to plan. For. Yeah. You'd asked about solutions a few moments ago. And I think that's it. One of them is proper parenting 
and uh, helping the student to focus. Because again, tell me if I'm right or wrong, or if you agree or disagree, but when we were 16, 17, 18, and our parents said, you're going to college, you don't have a choice. When you were 18 years old, did you know exactly what you were going to college for? Or did you kind of meander around for at least a year and then kind of hit your stride? Yeah, I was, I was a very typical 18-year-old. Um, I, went, I went to a state school because that seemed like the cool place to go. My dad went there. I, I rooted for the football team, my, my Iowa State Cyclones. And it really took me a long time to figure out why I was there in the first place. Right. I agree. Um, there, was, there was a lack of intention. There was a lack of diligence with the whole decision. Um, and it was just kind of a going with the flow. And so I, I've thought about that a lot over the years, like how – I, I will raise my children a little differently because, yeah, I think, I think we're on the same page with this for sure. I, I feel like being at my age now, had I looked back at the year 16, 17, and 18 years old and someone had helped me to figure out what a five-year plan looks like and actually set up some measurable goals of what do I want to do? Where would I like to be? How would I like this to look? What kind of things interest me? All of this and actually hashed it out. I could have been far more focused and, e- and effective at university because I was kind of the same way as you. Sounds like we, and I think your story and mine is very, very common with almost everyone who goes uh, to university these days. So I think one of the solutions is 17, 18 year olds really need to sit down and as corny as it sounds, write out a five-year plan so that each year has a goal and a meaning and you can have some uh, long-term focus. But also the parenting, Andy, um, again, I don't think my, I'm not saying my parents or yours did a bad job raising us, but especially right now when we know the risk of taking out a student loan, I'm wondering, are there other alternatives? Are there jobs that don't require a university degree? Um, could you do something like the trades or apprenticeships, other different, and there are creative ways that are not mainstream yet that could become mainstream again, like they used to be in the old days. Um, and again, that would help people to really not be forced into this system where they feel like I just work at a car dealership, but I have a degree from the University of Missouri, right? Yeah, and I think I think there are a lot of that. Like you could take club tests, for example, to you know basically test out of uh, of classes, and you could use that to basically get a degree. Um, junior colleges, yeah. I mean, you mentioned trades, so like the average. Nurse makes something like $53,000 a year. The average plumber is somewhere in there as well, too. Yeah. So I think all of that is a solution, but I think we're just stuck in a situation where people, they kind of go about their ways the way that they always have, and and we're resistant to change. Yeah. And so it, it might take um, a little creativity, a little inspiration, or it might take a worst case scenario, you know, if, if this just gets really ugly. And uh, it forces people's hand through some sort of um, financial crisis or something like that. I mean, Andy, do you see any other route out of this at the moment? Well, I mean, I, I'm really inspired just doing kind of financial planning where I will meet, I will meet a couple, a young couple. And, and my family is like this right now. Like my, my wife has student loans that we're paying off. But I'll meet a young couple that will like, you know, they'll read Dave Ramsey or they'll listen, they'll listen to him on the radio. And they just get really jacked up about paying off debt. And it becomes like kind of part of their family mission. And so that really inspires me. So like, I don't know, Ryan, like, I think you've got the harder job where it's like, how do we help create public policy? But I know like there are individuals that are solving this problem on their own. And and to me, like that, 
I think that's where it's at. I love Dave Ramsey. I put that in front of so many people, especially some of the people who are very, very, very new to what it means to handle money and playing with money and how to, well, like you said, pay off debt. Man, I love the Dame, Dave Ramsey style and method. And you're right, people, so many people, their lights, their eyes light up. And like, ah, okay, I get it now. So yes, I completely agree with what you're saying there. You know, another thing that you had mentioned earlier that I meant to say was part of this issue that's facing our generation to make it more tough is that twice, a once in a generational economic crash has happened twice now in 10 years. Right. That's right. just another, you know, another uh, variable that's really kind of making it difficult for millennials at the moment. Yeah, it's a tough generation. Um, I remember when the Occupy Wall Street movement happened after 2008. You know, there was all the, the ire against the big banks, and I think a lot of that was justified. Um, I, I was a little, I just didn't quite know what was going on. Like I was starting to read Zero Hedge at the time and some things like that. And, and now it seems like, it almost seems like in a lot of ways, 2008 all over again. And at this point, like it's, I think it's really shaping you and I and our generation. And this is going to be one of the things that there's going to be a big push for. Like a lot of people are just going to expect that a lot of this sort of thing is going to be socialized, whether it's student loan forgiveness, um, you know, universal basic income, w- whatever kind of social program people think are going to help solve this problem. I think it's just going to become more and more of a, of a talking point. Excellent. Well, Ryan, this has been great, man. Again, how can everyone follow your thought leadership right now as you run for Congress here in the state of Missouri? For sure. Um, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter is at this is Dirks. Facebook is just Ryan Dirks. It's a page. So like I said, I do most of my stuff on Facebook. So if you've got an account, find me there. But uh, yeah, that's it. And RyanDirks.com. Guys, hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully it goes without saying, but obviously I'm not going to agree with a politician on everything, or at least a hopeful politician here in the case of Ryan. But me and Ryan agree on a lot. So definitely consider him if you're in the 5th Congressional District in Missouri when you're voting this November. And thanks for listening to the Reformed Financial Advisor podcast. Make sure to get my free guide at simplewealthkc.com slash student loans. And when you get my email, please email me back. Let me know what your thoughts are on this show, the direction it's going. Do you want to hear about more timely issues or do you like the history stuff? Let me know.